0: Welcome to season three of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. More history, more people, more of the stuff that got you here in the first place. Thanks for listening.
1: One, two, three, jump.
0: hey guys what's going on welcome in to the knowledge from the couch podcast this is episode number 51 you guys and we've we've crossed that hump since last week I hope you all enjoyed uh last week's episode it was it was fun as hell for me to do and I I obviously hope to continue having more and more people on to talk a little bit about history with me and just go through that entire thing this week's episode you guys is another another three in a row magic 3 the hat trick three in a row of guests on and this week we talk with Mike uh, Bettendorf, a, a good buddy of mine uh, from uh, a, a long time ago and, and and all the way up to today we are gonna talk about Johannes Gutenberg the um, the the master of the of the printing press the 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 mobile type the whole entire thing we are gonna talk about that because Mike is a, is an avid reader and writer and he can probably, honestly, contribute his his like uh, of those things and even some of his livelihood, as we'll talk about a little bit during the show, to Johannes Gutenberg, making that print and press work, making a whole bunch of Gutenberg Bibles, and having a heck of a time in Germany in the 1400s. So, guys, I won't talk a whole heck of a lot more. I just wanted to intro this particular portion. Guys, episode number 51. Of the Not The Couch Podcast, Johannes Gutenberg. Guys, stick with us. All right guys so welcome back into the knowledge from the couch podcast this is another crazy episode it's i uh, when i first started doing this i didn't uh, imagine that i was going to do uh so many guest spots in a row i kind of felt like they were going to be uh, uh uh periodic here and there occasionals and then for some reason after i did the episode with amber the uh the floodgates seemed to uh open up wide for me and this is my third guest in a row. Now, I'm not sure if I'll have any more for a little bit after this, but hey, if you want to come on the show, please let me know just like this guy did. He uh, he listened to the first episode that I had guest with my sister Amber. And then while I was recording the show with Aaron from last week that you will remember, uh, he messaged me and asked me if I would be able to record this week here super quick and get an episode out. And of course, of course, I obliged him. So here we are in episode fifty-one. We've now passed the uh, the crest up to uh, one hundred episodes. We have plenty of plenty of those left to go. It's going to be another year or so before we get there, but we will get there. And I want to welcome my third guest, maybe the fanciest of the guests that I've had, the uh, the best beard for sure of the three people that I've been here uh, before. Amber is incapable of growing one. Uh, Aaron can grow an excellent beard. But for some reason, this time of year, he does not have one. So, of course, Mike wins by default. The Mike I am speaking of, of course, is Mike Bedendorf. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Uh,
2: yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Thanksgiving break, man. It's, yeah, so I don't have to be at that's work. That's right. So, so, so
0: tell the people a, a little bit about uh, 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 what you do for for a living. What you do for for work kind of all that stuff. Let people know a little bit about you in general.
2: Yeah, so uh I work with the school system here in Lincoln LPS. Um I mentor children. Um and essentially I work one-on-one with kids that they they test higher than their grade. Like it's yeah, yeah average of like 2 2 academic grades higher Uh, above where they would that the average child of their age is is at.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: So because of that, they, I don't know how the testing works, but Mm -hmm. anyway, these kids are tested and, um, if they qualify and want to be in the mentor program, they get assigned a mentor and I mentor them in the subject of language arts. And it's pretty cool. Um, we get to do a lot of things that
0: they might not get it get to do normally during the the curriculum that they're assigned in their whatever in lps is whatever it is for whatever grade they're in yeah Yeah.
2: exactly so basically instead of going to english class they come to me and we do just all sorts of stuff i mean uh my focus in college was like literature and writing specifically creative writing so i try to put that bend on it for the Mm -hmm. students because i mean when i was in school like we didn't do that like i didn't take a creative writing class until i was in college so, did like, you
0: where where did you we went to norfolk high school yeah correct yep. so if you're non-nebraskan norfolk is uh it's uh, uh spelled norfolk but none of us nebraskan folk y'all call it that it's norfolk and it's about two-ish hours or so uh away from the capital where we are right now in lincoln nebraska A smallish community 25 30 thousand ish people up there um reasonably large high school though although that's because it's the only game, well not the only game in town but the big one there's Kearney Catholic I think is as, as well uh the Kearney Catholic uh Norfolk cuz it's Norfolk Central Catholic or something of yeah, that there are many catholic schools in the state of Nebraska and you <laughs> tend to mix them up from who is who and which is which but there tends to be if you if you're in a if, if you're in a town with a big school there's also like a tiny catholic school that also just hangs out next to you and just like is really good at sports because they can It's a private school, so they can recruit basically. But so you went to Norfolk High School. Did you have um, AP or advanced placement classes at Norfolk at the time that you uh, that you were in school?
2: Yeah, yeah, we had uh, AP classes. We didn't have the IB program up there, but the AP program was there. Um, I didn't take AP English. Um, I mean, I I did. Your boy
0: here over here took AP English. You know what's
2: up. I took four years of every subject. Yeah, um, I took AP Physics actually. Um, good for you. I'm then, shitty
0: at physics, so good for you for getting through that somehow. Yeah, some, excellent.
2: Somehow, um, but then I actually took a lot of college classes in high school. Like I took smart college math, mm-hmm. and then we had like a technology program, like affiliated with Northeast with Community College. With the community college, college. Yep. Mm-hmm. and so that's actually what I was planning on doing in college was like computer science and that kind of thing.
0: It's one of those things where, like, I
2: thought that's what I wanted to do. And then for, like, freshman year of college, I was like, fuck this. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's,
0: it's a little tougher than it seems. Or sometimes your brain or even yourself, you don't know exactly uh, what something entails. So you, you see this generalized weird picture of something. You're like, oh, that would be something I'd be really into. It's cool. And then you get into it and you're like, this is fucking nothing. Nothing like I thought it was going to be. Like... I have a similar story. Like when I went to high school, you know, I, we had AP class and stuff too. I took uh, AP English and AP History, which that one ended up, I guess, working out for my first degree in history. I continued doing that one forever. Um, and we had a ton of other ones too. But like I, towards the end of high school, as I was thinking about stuff like I was thinking about being into, I really thought maybe like being a psychologist of some sort would be interesting to me. So when I first got to the University of Nebraska here in Lincoln, uh, I was a psych major and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what it all was about. I just said, hey, if you're a major in psychology, you know, in my head, anybody who was involved in psychology was like a therapist or a clinical uh, person of some sort. Mm, yeah. Not really thinking about the fact that probably the vast majority of psychology major people are researchers for the most part. Right. Doing research, either carrying out other people's research that have come up with stuff or, you know, developing their own research. Uh, a lot of academic spots in um, psychology, not nearly as many of the psychology majors actually became like clinical psychologists or therapists or counselors of any way. It's part of it. But I didn't know like any of this shit because, I mean, when I went to school, nobody fucking told me anything. Yeah, right. And you have this weird idea of what it's going to be. So then I switched my major halfway through to history, also not really knowing um, exactly what I was going to do in life. And then, you know, with that degree, I've now... uh dicked around for a billion years, it feels like, and then finally made a uh, a podcast. And that's uh, my crowning jewel achievement of my <laughs> my history <laughs> degree. I, I feel like it's the only time in my life that I've ever applied what I did in college at some point, you know, minus what I just did in college, that's a whole separate uh, thing um, to anything later in life. Because when I graduated school the first time, I didn't do jack shit compared to uh, uh, what what I wanted to do, or what I did in school, and I feel like your story is pretty, pretty similar. So, so you're saying you you went to Norfolk uh, High School, mm-hmm. you had an interest in computer science, but also you were you know you like to read, mm-hmm. you like to write, you like to just be a. I mean, you're for those of you who don't know, John has you know siblings, uh, uh, or, or Mike has siblings, John and um Mira, Mira, yep. and all of you, um, whether or not you're you know a hundred percent you know, blood related or not, have a very creative bone in your body. You all do it a little differently, mm. but like Mir has like her photography and she played an instrument so well, you know, John is, 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 is a good writer as well, but he's kind of put his talents towards teaching and stuff, but he's a very like artistic guy as well, which, you know, his wife who did the art for, uh, my, um, my podcast page, very artistic as well. So like it kind Absolutely. of, it kind of falls like you guys are all drawn to, you know, the arts, Pretty much, like, just it's kind of a strange thing. You guys are all just kind of, you all kind of meander your way over there, whether you like it or not. It seems to just be part of your DNA. Yeah. So you went to you went to college, or did you? You started at
2: UNO, correct? Yeah, yeah. My freshman year was at UNO in Omaha, and then for like a bunch of different reasons, I decided to transfer after my freshman year. Um, In fact, when I was in Omaha. You probably remember this because that's when we met. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually spent more time in Lincoln mm-hmm. than I did in Omaha, and I was living in Omaha doing school in Omaha. But I, I mean, I pretty much, I mean, I drove to Lincoln. I think pretty much right after class on Thursday or whatever, um, for that first semester, and I would I would stay you in John's spend, apartment like the entire weekend. Yeah, I'd stay from like Thursday night until. Sometimes Monday morning, like yeah, drive, before you go to class. Yeah, on I, I drove. <laughs> I remember one night having to drive, or one morning, I guess, driving in the winter, like some bullshit blizzard. I had to drive to make it to class, and I was just like, "Why the fuck did I even do this? Like, I should have <laughs> just stayed." But anyway, yeah, I I was doing the Peter Kewitt Institute. Um, They have like a big computer science and engineering like mm-hmm. program over yep. there. Um, and I was doing management information systems, which basically mixes business and computer, and science. computer science. Yeah, because yep. a lot <laughs> turns out a lot of computer scientists don't know how to interact with people. Um, <laughs> who would have
0: fucking thought? That was the um, uh, the the entire joke in uh what was it Office Space? about yep. the middleman <laughs> who the engineers <laughs> don't know how to talk to anybody. That's what I do. Because <laughs> what would you say he does here? That's exactly what he does. And you're right. I mean, sometimes when your brain is 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 switched and, and made in such a way where you are excellent and even, like, maybe people call it genius level at some shit like that, you know, everybody's brain is finite, you know? Sometimes that takes away parts of the other, you right. know, for interaction, you know? And not saying that that's the way everybody is, but obviously that, that, can, that can happen sometimes. There is a reason, obviously, why sometimes those stereotypes ring a little bit more true, you mm. know, when you're thinking about it, so. Yeah. So you're in M.I.S., at UNO, and you're a freshman. Yep. And I believe we met because your brother, John, um, did judo yep. with me and a bunch of other people. And we just randomly had met through that. Mm-hmm. And then you would come up because John, you know, was having you come up and hang out with us. And you mm-hmm. did a little bit of that stuff with us, but you started to hang out with our uh, friend group as well. And then yep. you started to sort of integrate from that point mm-hmm. forward. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, pretty much, I mean, I decided. I don't even think the first semester was over before at UNO before I decided like yeah I gotta get out of here I gotta move and I mean there was a lot of different reasons for it it uh it was a weird living situation at the time yeah. and like uh just wasn't enjoying class and I figured well all my friends are in Lincoln now so so I just kind of like buckled through that first year and then moved and mm-hmm. I was actually torn between doing like graphic design for a long time mm-hmm. and then um so i was kind of torn between graphic design and maybe going towards the like tattoo artist route actually was mm-hmm. something i wanted to do thinking um, about yeah i was also super into music yep so i was thinking oh i can you know design album art and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and really like any art <laughs> i just you have to devote a certain amount of time and i for whatever reason you know i was a dumb like 18 year old um i just didn't devote a lot of time to like fine art and eventually i moved over into english and like i was more willing to devote time to like writing and reading and like learning that craft Mm -hmm. than i was the fine art even though i I do have a fine art minor (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't do much other than like doodle and shit and stuff like yeah yeah. You happened
0: to take enough classes while you were doing it to to pick it up, but not mm-hmm. really such an intentional thing when it all came down yeah, to it.
2: Yeah, like I, I have a rudimentary understanding of a lot of concepts and things like yeah. that. Um enough to talk with to talk people about, about but mm-hmm. but other than that, I mean I'm not I don't practice it very much. Mm-hmm. Like I the last few times I've actually done any sort of art was other than doodling, like I do all the time. Yeah. It's just the way- It's my, just a thing you do. It's yeah. just kind of a,
0: almost a nervous tick anymore. You just yep. have a pencil in your hand or a pen and you just draw. You know, yep. It's a thing you do. But yeah.
2: The only other time I really do anything was actually <laughs> when our uh, last guinea pig died. I yep. painted a big old picture of him, um, kind of like that classic Biggie Smalls picture with a crown. Mm-hmm. I did it because we used to call him Piggie Smalls. Mm-hmm. So-
0: but other than that, like that, that, that's yeah, about and that was extent. inspiration striking you or having a reason to do something. Yeah, you know? otherwise you'd never really had a good reason in your head, at least, to do anything like that. So you say, "Well, I'm never gonna draw a bunch of shit because why should I? You right. know, I don't have any reason to do so. There's e- other stuff to do,
2: exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, so, yeah, I just kind of fell into, I fell into creative writing, um in college and that's pretty yep. much like I didn't actually do a whole lot of creative creative writing in high school. I read. I mean, mm-hmm. I've always been a reader, like mm-hmm. like thanks to my mom for that. She yeah. you know, gave us a book every year for Christmas and just one of those things we just were a family of readers, just yeah.
0: kind of the way it is. Um I think that's a positive thing. I think reading just even passively, just kind of reading every once in a while is is an excellent use of your brain space because you're going to get You know, an active exercise of your brain, you know, not only just reading words, but comprehending what's being said, you know, uh, weaving the story into your own mind's eye of like what's happening, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's always kind of interesting when you read a book before it becomes like a movie at some point and kind of comparing like what you thought something would look like in your brain as opposed to what it turns out on screen, somebody else's vision of it. And then when you read books afterwards, that's all you can see is like the the movie version of it. Like if I ever read Harry Potter, all I can see is like. The Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter, like I just see those characters. They did such a good job with it. I'm just like, well, because I read Harry Potter and stuff before it was movies, um, at least because they started making them like while she was still writing. But mm-hmm. I remember reading the first two or three, whatever, before they started making the movies in in in, in general, and, you know, having a slightly different vision of it. But the second that they made those movies, I was like, well, this is just it. That's just, yeah, it, it is what it is now. Yeah, that you know. But besides that, that point, you know, reading is a is a is a great way to like. You know exercise your brain in that way and then you pick up you know you'll expand your vocabulary a great deal and if you I I feel like I think everybody says this but it's totally true if you want to be a good uh, writer you have to be a pretty avid reader I don't think I've ever met a person maybe somebody exists some shitty writer who just puts out just garbage content (laughs) like maybe L. Ron Hubbard or some shit (laughs) rest in peace not really (laughs) Um, uh, writing shit like Dianetics and stuff I mean I I can't see that guy being like a, a fucking prolific reader by any means so I'm sure there are people out there who write and are just garbage writers and don't but for the most part if you've ever you know read an author's work that author's probably read 10-15 times as much literature in their brains as they ever wrote right
2: yeah like I I mean I follow a ton of writers and so on and so forth on Twitter and things Mm -hmm. like that and like yeah like you can make what you want of like what works best for you how to write well like there's all sorts of like this is what writers should do, and like, I, I don't really pay attention to most of that stuff. I think a lot of writers like what works for you. Like, as long as you know it works for you, do it. Yeah, um, and be diligent about it. But like, the one thing I am very firm in is almost every single
0: writer will be like, if you don't read, then you're gonna be a shitty writer. Yeah,
2: or yep. or, or you're not as good as you could be. Yeah, you you're, like, you're
0: you're missing any kind of potential that you could have unlocked had you just spent some time. Reading other people's works you know
2: i mean i've written things where like i know some people are like yeah while i write if i'm if i'm working on a book they might not read anything at the time because they don't want to be influenced and that kind of thing but like um i mean there's so many times where i'll just be reading something Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh shit like there there is an answer that i wasn't thinking about Mm -hmm. for a project i'm working on that comes about because i was reading something else yep or you know like Writing to me, a lot of it is just problem solving, and a lot of it is just—I mean, storytelling is yeah, pretty much problem solving in mm-hmm. a lot in, in a in a creative way, basically. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, you you come with a story that you want to tell, and then you have to, you know, instead of saying, you know, in outline form, hey, this is a story about these three people and this, and this, and this, and this is how this person meets, and then eventually this is what happens at the end. You have to, you know, embellish it a little bit, make a narrative, and make a story that makes sense to solve whatever problem you've come through. You know, maybe saying, oh, I want this person to do this eventually, or I want these two people to have this kind of interaction, or whatever, then you have to write your way into it, which can be tough. I mean, it's not like writer's Mm -hmm. block isn't a thing. You know, that that happens (laughs) to every single writer to ever Mm -hmm. exist. I mean... Besides maybe Stephen King, if that guy has writer's block, he's he's a prolific writer. He's pumped out a vast swath of works. It's like he never stops writing. So yeah,
2: well, and it's funny you say that. I haven't, I still haven't read his book on writing, which I need to. I need to. Um, I hear it's amazing. Um, And I actually don't even, I don't read a whole lot of King. Um, It's one of those guys I've been meaning to like
0: get into more. Um, Famous for a reason, but obviously not everybody's read everything he's written ever. So. Like
2: my reading list is just it's insanely it's more long. astronomical um, than
0: you could probably ever actually accomplish in your life.
2: Oh, absolutely! But King, part of the reason he's able to like put out as much as he does is mm. he has a an, like an extremely rigid writing schedule that he sticks to, and like yeah. that's that is. So much of it, and I mean something I've been really shitty about actually the last couple months. I haven't really written nearly as much as I would want to. I've been busy doing other things and all that. But like, King's got like his mindset is, I think he he writes like certain number of words a day, which I know. Yeah. Some people they say do a thousand a day, yeah. which if if you're writing a typical document, a thousand five, words is like five-ish five, pages. pages, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. Might not sound like a lot, but it, it, it's something. I mean, if you if you knock that out
0: for ten straight days, that's fifty pages. You knock it out for a hundred days, five hundred pages of work. That's a lot in yeah. a third of a year. You know. So
2: mm-hmm. and he, but he just he has a routine and he sticks to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, not that this is an excuse. Granted, his success has allowed him to be like to con- yeah to to keep that routine it's his job, mm-hmm. and he can like,
0: dedicate one hundred percent of his time to the craft that he has made it for himself exactly Mm -hmm. and
2: like so like if you're if you're just starting out writing or trying to dabble in it like if you can't keep that kind of routine like don't beat yourself up because Mm -hmm. that's that's something that i'm i'm really bad at like i beat the shit out of myself all the time about not keeping goals or not
0: keeping it but i mean because you want to be a writer i mean obviously i know i've talked to you many times and Uh, I understand that that's definitely what you want to be, and you've been published at least the one time I've seen here lately. I'm sure it's been more than that, but you know, I know you want to continue to expand upon that stuff. So I can understand why sometimes it feels like you're you're either running up, you know, a hill made of molasses, or you just literally feel like you're not going anywhere despite how hard you're working or, you know, either way you, you feel like, well, if I just did this, then maybe I would be able to pop over the Hill, but I didn't do it. I'm just a piece of shit. You know, I, we all have those same like self-doubt thoughts, you know, it's kind of, so I think it is good advice just to say, you know, it's okay to backslide sometimes. It's okay not to do exactly what the things you are. Eventually you'll figure out your style and you're, you'll make your way into it the, the, the the way you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like,
2: I mean, Yeah, pretty much like you have to be hard on yourself to an extent, but I mean, don't be your own whipping boy, you know, like you you can only like, you know, you can you can only expect so much out of yourself. Yeah,
0: I I feel like it's all about setting realistic goals. Yeah, I think a lot of people's problem and, you know, I've kind of learned this over the past four or five ish years that I've been doing stuff in my life that when I was a lot younger, you get this really. A, a grandiose thought of life. And you go, mm-hmm. you know, like say you graduate high school and you're going to college. You're going to You go, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to graduate with this degree and I'm going to get a job doing this. Very general, broad goals that are very mm-hmm. far off that there are so many little things that can happen in between time. They do happen. You know, they yeah. happen to you, they happen to me, they happen to John, they happen to everybody mm-hmm. where stuff gets in the way and you don't accomplish it and then you feel like a failure in the end. And you, you aren't. It's just that the goal you set was so so grandiose so broad so non-specific that i mean if you solved it it almost if you were to accomplish that goal it's almost like by accident that you just happen to like get lucky and do whatever you did on the way to get to that point right so they all and i always say that people you know the best thing i can think of is you know just make little goals that are you know measurable so you know if you got it or not and you can Mm -hmm. kind of see where you are and specific you know where you say hey i'm gonna like your Stephen King example, he he might make a goal say, okay, I'm going to sit down at my typewriter today, and I'm going to type out 1,000 words, and that's going to be my goal today. It's measurable, 1,000 it's words, easy to figure out if you did that or not, mm-hmm. and today, so it's timely, you know, hey, I'm going to do that today, and you off and running, and it's pretty easy to say, hey, you know, I made my goal, and I did it, or I missed it. What can I do to, like, modify myself to, like, either start accomplishing this goal more often, or maybe I should, like, lower my expectations a little bit. Start achieving those goals and then build yeah. as you go, you know, continually to to do what you want to do. And eventually you build those in blocks and you get to wherever you want to be. You right. Know?
2: Exactly. And like being keeping them malleable is a huge part of it is like for a while. Oh, excuse me. Oh, you're fine. I, uh, I I was cranking out a thousand words yeah. sometimes. um, And it felt awesome. Like you at the end of the day. You're just like, I am fucking doing this. Yeah. This is you're writing like, writing. look at all the shit um, I made. Yeah. But then, like, I mean, shit happens. You mm-hmm. don't gets feel well, yep.
0: or what, or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. excuse. Many, whether... many things that could, or can,
2: or will happen, happen. Yeah. And like, I for a while I was like, shoot, if I can get a hundred words a day, I'll be happy. Like, mm-hmm. like, and then this last year, year and a half or so, um, like the goal, I, I didn't like write it down or anything, but it was just kind of up in my head. I was like, hey, I'm going to start. Um, submitting to little publishers, like journals, and stuff. And stuff. journals. Yeah, because yeah, like my my grand big goal would be I'd wanted to get like novels published and things mm-hmm. like that. And like I've written novels. Um, some
0: of them will never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. They're awful. I think a lot it, of writers have a lot of stuff oh. in their their writing closet that will never ever see yeah. the light of day beyond what you had in your brain, and you'll be the only one who ever knows yeah, what well, what it is. And like sometimes it's good to just
2: get that crap out mm-hmm. and then it's gone, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but so I've got, I've, I have some finished work. Um, and, but then I don't really do for, or for a while I wasn't working on short pieces mm-hmm. and over the last year or so I was like, Hey, I'm going to take some time to write just like some flash fiction, which yep. generally is like no more than a thousand words. Yeah. Like they're pretty short. Two, three, four pages at the yeah. most,
0: pretty easy, quick read, which I mm. think is its own, It sounds easier because it's less, but it really isn't because then you have to make a story that has an impact and has a beginning, middle and end that goes somewhere in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would almost be more difficult than writing like an expositional, like 500 page novel where you can meander around everywhere when you got to make a story happen in three fucking pages. That seems its own kind of tough to me.
2: Yeah, it's its it's its own thing. Like you have to your real estate yeah is very limited you're and it's one of those things where you don't with a story you worry about character development you worry about plot Mm -hmm. and all that whereas like with flash fiction i mean it's all about that action and like Mm -hmm. getting and it doesn't i don't mean action like oh a car chase or something yeah it's it's making a lot happen it's very dense yeah like you have Mm -hmm. to get stuff out quickly and has to grab attention
0: and be gone it has to be like good too like you can't just be like. Bam. And I like, hope people like listen to you. It's like you need to like come with something like interesting and like, oh, shit. Right. And they read your thing for the three or four pages. And they go, oh, that's was, that was a nice little story. I'm really glad that I that I read something like that. You right. Know? Hopefully. that's Yeah. The
2: goal. Yeah, exactly. And and that's just that's the last year I said, hey, I'm going to do more of that kind of thing. And like you mentioned, I did get one small piece published recently which is cool yeah exactly. i'll uh, i'll
0: link that at uh, in the show notes of the podcast and when i post it i'll link mike's work here Sweet. so that people can take a look at it if they want to read some of your stuff oh thanks man yeah and um what was the uh what was the journal that you were uh, published in it's called the weird reader mm-hmm. um it's a small outfit out of
2: utah yep um i think i'm in their third volume so i think that's They've got three volumes right now, mm-hmm. and it's just—it's kind of a mixture of.
0: It's um, almost like because I read your work and I thought it was very good. Um, when you read it, it's not like Shell Silverstein, but I kind of think of it like that because it's like a book of just a lot. You like turn the page and you read a couple pages mm-hmm. of a story, and then you turn the page again. And there's another story by a different artist, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a it's like a you know compendium of like many little stories that you can just kind of open up and say hey, and then just read them and kind of get a little. Taste of stuff as you yep. as you it, go through. Yeah, it's like an anthology, mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how a lot of like
2: academic journals are mm-hmm. and literary magazines. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge a of, collection of,
0: like, like you said, flash fiction, flash yep. pieces. There's flash mm-hmm.
2: fiction, short fiction, which a yep. little longer than what you're writing. Varies, yep, mm-hmm. and then. Um, oftentimes they'll include like photography or fine art too a lot mm-hmm. of them are doing that these days, which I think is great yeah
0: it, it's kind of a fun little expansion of the art you know mm-hmm. in, in a different terms than just r- the written word yeah mm-hmm.
2: absolutely and mm-hmm. I've submitted last week or two weeks ago I
0: submitted like five different pieces and nice. I'm just like
2: all right let's, see some sticks Let's, let's yep. see what
0: happens. Um, was that so. piece that you had published is that your first published? piece of work? Um, yes. Nice. Technically. Um, Congratulations. Well, thank you. You gotta get, you gotta get the first one and then you can continue to build off that one, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's my first
2: bit of, like, fiction that was published. Mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of, like, comics criticism
0: for a while. Yep. Like, two. So, like, opinion, opinion writing. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It was, you
2: know. Kind of a mixture of opinion or analytical pieces mm-hmm. is kind of what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I did that for a while, um, and, yeah, it's still cool. I just don't have time right now to do that kind of work anymore. Um, I'm still involved in like comics and that kind mm-hmm. of area of things. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't write a whole lot about that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe
0: someday. I'll do yeah, maybe again. someday. But, and I know you and I talked many times uh, before this and off mic, even when I was first starting this show, about how you also have you know interest in writing like an audio drama type mm-hmm. thing, which will be it's it's going to be its own bag of worms when it comes down to it <laughs> so um i can't link you to anything cuz we haven't made it yet i say we because i feel like uh, i'm going to be involved at least a little bit oh, in absolutely. this project so you know get ready for that but it may still be a while in the row, but you know that's just another way to expand upon what you're interested in creatively yeah. and stuff it's in the, it's it's written but it's in audio form so mm-hmm. that's a whole another you know media that you get to play around in and stuff so right. that'll be kind of interesting too so you know that won't probably necessarily be published anywhere but it'll be self-published like yeah. i self-publish myself every week mm-hmm. with this show you know and it's my own thing um and we'll get that out there and people will be able to listen to that as well which may open up yeah. its own avenues i so, hope so okay. it's
2: that i mean that came about to be honest the the, the reason i started writing that I don't, I don't even have a title for it yet. Like each episode is titled, but Mm -hmm. like the overall story doesn't have its own
0: Mm -mm. finite title yet.
2: Yeah. The reason I started that is I had finished a book. It took me about a year. I wrote a, I wrote a book uh, and took like pretty much a month off. I just didn't have anything else in me to like Mm -hmm. really do. I started working on another piece. I just, I just couldn't get off the ground and I was just frustrated. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna I'm gonna write this goofy
0: sci-fi noir thing. Thing, yeah.
2: And it happened. Yeah. So, I, so you have so it all.
0: You have it all written. The first, pretty
2: well, or a, a good draft of it. Yeah. Done. The the first. I mean, I think overall, all the episodes together are like a combined seventy thousand words or so. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, or not seventy thousand words. That's a lot. That's um, a lot. Yeah. Uh, it'd be about 70 pages rather so okay. it's probably like a like no- novella size, yeah Yeah, it, yeah mm-hmm. probably 25 30,000 words all together mm-hmm. um and yeah novella size um, and it it takes place in like the same universe of the book that i had finished mm-hmm. but there's only one crossover character and it's really brief and subtle and it they don't have to go together at all it's just one of those like very like douglas adams kind mm-hmm. of like like a hitchhiker kind of str- yeah mm-hmm. kind of strange and like goofy mm-hmm. but i also read and watch a lot of like crime stuff so mm-hmm. it just whether i mean it to or not it slips into my writing like oh some yeah shit's gonna happen and mm-hmm. like you know whatever um so it kind of has like a weird goofy like fun vibe Mm -hmm. to a lot of it but it also has a lot of the existential dread and kind of things that happen in noir stories and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and there's like a little bit of crime here and there Mm -hmm. and like
0: and set in like you know like space and stuff which is its own kind of sci-fi flavoring exactly and
2: and the way i was talking with a friend of mine who he his name's pj he's one of one of my best friends and he's he's one of the reasons i kept writing actually we were Met him at the right time in my life um, in college, and we just spent a lot of time hanging out, talking mm-hmm. stories, reading stories. Bouncing stuff just, off of yep. each other. And uh, um, the way he always describes sci-fi, he's like, there's there's two kinds of sci-fi. There's like your shiny, brand new, nice sci-fi, like mm-hmm. akin to maybe Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and then there's your like dirty, gritty sci-fi, which maybe... Um,
0: Firefly, yeah, or like The Expanse, yeah, uh, more like, recently, mm-hmm. yeah, something like stuff that. that's gritty and and not at all like uh, it, it's like you say, clean and not clean, like clean, like very uh, utopian in nature, very mm-hmm. uh, fancy, very like clean lines, bright right, shiny like- shit. And, like, um,
2: technology might not be, it. it technology might be kind of shitty. So, like, hey, we still use guns with actual bullets, not yeah. lasers or yeah. photons. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, like some of the like,
0: shit where, like, it mixes stuff that you're familiar with and everything. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. And, yeah. like,
2: ships are rusty. And, yep. you know, things like that. And this story, I don't know. They're, it's not really either of those In a, in a lot of ways. It's just... I guess a lot of the ways I like to write sci fi, and maybe this is me being lazy, I don't know, mm-hmm. but you know how, like, in a lot of like Douglas Adams or Grant Naylor's work, who he did Red Dwarf. Um, yeah. Um, and actually, Grant Naylor is the combination of two writers. Um, oh, it's like
0: a, the, the pseudonym is of two different people. Yeah. Yeah. And the I, pen name. I can't remember. I can't remember their names
2: right now, mm-hmm. but um, those two guys together did Red Dwarf and anyway like they're maybe they probably lean more on the like grittier side mm-hmm. and like unclean kind of thing but they're also just kind of like there's not a lot of science in the science fiction yeah. you know it's just kind of it's like fence, strange it's and fanciful goofy. yeah or like, like, doc, doctor, like who. doctor who exactly yeah
0: just it, it the science isn't the point it's right just part of the narrative a little bit but the point is like the character interactions and the weird shit that happens between them while they exist in this like absurd reality right you know?
2: it, it's almost like so many people are gonna hate me for this but yeah. like science <laughs> fantasy and i like yeah, sci-fi yeah. and fantasy are very 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 different yeah in a lot but, of but ways.
0: sometimes a lot of people combine the two in various ways you know so it's not a complete leap yeah I like think.
2: the the science and science fiction for me it's it's more of a conduit to tell mm-hmm. the like goofy shit that i want to yeah, say it really all it depends on um, like
0: how scientific you want to be like some people write to be like You know, this is as as sciencey as I want it to be. Like The Martian is a -hmm. you could technically probably call that a science fiction novel. Mm -hmm. And he tries his best. Um, The author's name escapes me now as well. But I read that book after having seen the movie, and it's actually Mm -hmm. pretty well done. It's very interesting. It's compelling. He tries to be very sciencey, and if you Mm -hmm. ever see the movie, it's kind of like that too. It's like we try to be as 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 hopefully realistic as we can be within the bounds of stuff to like tell our narrative. So like the fiction part is very driven by the science part. But like you're saying, sometimes you can really start to bend the rules and like it it just becomes another like template that you can use to tell your stories and you can bounce stuff off of it. It doesn't have to be like, well, he didn't do all the calculations properly. like a Neil deGrasse Tyson, like this on your fucking work, you know? (laughs) Right, oh, it's inappropriate. Of course it's inappropriate because most people don't intend for it to be 100% accurate to like like, physics and stuff.
2: And like, I try to be, in some of the things that happen, like, I try to be accurate to a, to an extent. Like you so, do the best you can to to be reasonable with whatever that right, means but to you. For for me, the suspension of disbelief is it's just something you have to have, have when to have, reading fiction. Yeah. Like yeah, it's, that's the it's fiction the, part. It's exactly. fiction. Like I'm mm-hmm. not
0: writing. Not it's not non fiction Like you're telling a story that happened. It's a story you made up. You know right. And it's like it's not about the science. It's about yeah. the characters the, the, the and characters the, the other and stuff. The way they get together and the the things that and affect how they those interact. Characters. And mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I I, it's 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 interesting, right, how you can just start ho humming it at the beginning. And then thirty five minutes later, you still haven't got into the subject of your podcast yet. Uh, yeah. I think that's the beauty of it personally, because I, I just like to, you know, if you're going to be a guest on the show later on, after you listen to the now this episode with the other two that I've done with people, this is kind of what I want from you. I like to I like to and I hope the people who are listening like it as well. It's like get into the people I have on a little bit, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. like I have any celebrities on. I'm not a celebrity. Nobody else that I know is, but I still think that you guys are all interesting people in your own different ways. Like everybody's got something weird shit about them or cool Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, that I think people should know about. So it's, it's fun, I think to exposition a little bit. And very fortunately, just like the first two episodes I had, you know, I talked to uh, Amber a lot about her interests and those kind of led into the story that we told. And Aaron uh, talked about radio that led into the story that we told, And very similarly, in this episode, um, what we've been talking about for the past nigh on half an hour really leads pretty well into talking about this gentleman and telling a little bit of a story about that guy. Because without you know him, and that could be probably argued a little bit, but probably without his particular type of invention and, and the spread of that, we wouldn't have so much easy access, or the world wouldn't have had so much easy access to literature that helped you know boom that sort of thought science, you know, for mm-hmm. for many hundreds of years, not just with with creativity, but for people to, you know, uh put out literature to be read by others, you know, the the American Revolution would be a lot different many hundreds of years after this guy if you can't, you know, write pamphlets and put that shit out to like you know, get support from those people, like get the mm-hmm. fervor of the people without stuff to read and distribute You just fucking can't. I mean, you can be a town crier, but your range is 15 to 20 meters probably, whereas a a, a written word can go anywhere, you know, as far as you want it to go and reach somebody's, you know, brain that way. So, you know, today we are going to now discuss after uh, many, many minutes of Mm -hmm. hanging out and just chit-chatting like buddies. We're going to talk about Johannes Gutenberg, and you probably – not Steve – not the actor, Steve <laughs> Gutenberg, um, who you've all seen. And I, 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 I can't even think of the movies that he's in uh, now, but he was so fucking prolific in like the 80s and shit. Steve Guttenberg was in, in like every fucking movie.
2: The one that comes to mind most um, is just It Takes Two. It Takes because Two. Because of yeah. my <laughs> age, I would imagine. Like, Yeah. Um, but then actually, most recently that I know, Ilya, mm-hmm. um, and this was years ago, was his cameo in Party Down. Yeah, a show
0: that I never watched, but I'm familiar with, like uh, uh, with uh, Adam Scott and others who are who are uh, very funny people who I love watching their work. I, it was kind of like a lot of these people's pre-work before they all kind of blew up and became yeah, it was more like, famous. Uh, I can't Jane remember Jane Lynch. I believe was in yeah, it.
2: Lynn, uh, Lindsay, uh, is it Lindsay? Uh, she's an. Um, <laughs> I can't remember her name. We can't remember. Uh, but party, party down. Party and down. Steve Gutenberg just appears. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> Anyway,
0: that's all we're going to talk about Steve Gutenberg, yeah. though, because that is the uh, probably the only Gutenberg some people have ever heard of. But this Gutenberg you probably should have heard of. This is true uh, uh, by the name of Johannes, a very German man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a long old German name, uh, but we don't really need to say it because Jesus Christ, who cares? If you talk about Johannes Gutenberg, you should be talking about this particular gentleman. So I'll let Mike take it a little bit from here, but that's the subject, and he is a very important man in the history of writing. So, so Mike, tell me a little bit about. Uh, Johannes, start from the beginning. Let's see yeah. what we can um, unpack with this dude.
2: Let's see here. They he was born, give or take. Actually, they don't know. Yeah, by it's the way. it's in that era where um, nobody really knows when
0: anybody's born. You just have to take somebody's word for it. Basically,
2: yeah, you most people just say well, roughly fourteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, it's speculated maybe thirteen ninety four
0: ish or maybe even 1404 like that 10 year gap like that is kind of a gap isn't it it's yeah. not like oh maybe 1399 or 1401 like nope 14, maybe 1394 yeah maybe 1405 who fucking knows yeah eh, who knows 10 years we're just going to we'll call it 1400 and call it even
2: and he lived until february 3rd of 1468 so i mean a pretty decent life yeah, so he may have um,
0: been 68 years old, or maybe like 75 or something, or maybe like 50-something. Right. But he did live a pretty good life, especially for that uh, period of time, yes.
2: Yeah, um, so he was a German blacksmith, goldsmith, printer, and publisher. Um,
0: one of those
2: did a lot of things. Kind of a jack of, um, of all trades, really. Yeah. Um, he introduced printing to Europe with his printing press you've probably heard of the 42 line Gutenberg Bible. That was like his big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the 42 line is there's 42 lines per page and it, yeah. it, it like looked really nice and like, it was very readable, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so that was like his big thing. Um, he supposedly is the first European to use movable type in 1439. Mm-hmm. Um, There's some controversy on that, but we'll worry about that in a little bit. Yeah, in a little bit. Um, So, in general, they say some of his contributions to printing would be um, like the invention of a process that uses movable type to, like, mass produce.
0: Um, Yeah, so, so talk a little bit about that in general. Because humans have been able to write language for a decent chunk of time before this. I mean... Easily for that in the entire, you know, common era from, I guess, zero to 1400, mm-hmm. that's 1400 years of writing and many, many years going back before that, you know, humans, humans have been able to speak for a very long time and have spoken language, but it wasn't until, you know, like cuneiform and shit with the Sumerians and stuff where they're like, oh, maybe if we just like have symbols and like, you know, Egyptian hieroglyphs and stuff, maybe if we have symbols that represent what we're saying Then eventually we can like for posterity record what people say and tell stories about what people say. But the drawback that was you just had to write, you know, so that's all there was. So uh, I I feel like there was a lot of things back then where it was like there was whole specific uh, occupations where all people did was copy, you know, literally write shit and copy stuff like word for word. And that's how you like made a document.
2: Well, I think um, I don't have the notes somewhere. But anyway, there's to get a Bible specifically at yeah. the time, mm-hmm. it was it would take like a year for, for somebody to, to literally like
0: copy out another one that they have or like a copy yep. thing, like a manuscript. And, and they would copy it word for word, write it out the way it was going to be, bind it up and make it into a book and like here you go.
2: Yep, and it was super expensive. Yep. Um so
0: Yeah, cuz I wouldn't want to spend a fucking year just literally writing word for word something myself without being a little bit compensated, you know, right. for that work.
2: Yep. Um and but yeah, the movable so movable type like back earlier in like printing and things you could do like uh like reliefs and stuff, you know, where you'd like you you'd make a whole thing, yeah, like a it'd, whole it'd big set, wood block or something. And then you would yeah. like
0: put ink or whatever on it and make it. Mm. So you could distribute that, but that still also takes an amount of time to make that relief and, and like, it's only good for whatever that relief is you mm-hmm. know so you could build a relief but if you made you if you made an entire relief of like the bible let's say that relief might take up your entire fucking shed you know on different yeah. wood blocks that yeah. you have to put ink on so it's like well you can maybe mass produce this a little bit more but at the same time like it's still kind of a fucking annoying it's still going to take a while for us to like do the shit that we do you yeah. know yeah
2: so like the movable type was his way of like making that process way more efficient and mm-hmm. it was like they would take metal, um, and like think think how like a typewriter, they're they're called a matrix, like the little uh metal thing would have a letter on it. Yeah. And then it would be stamped
0: and onto then things. To a like, piece of paper or parchment or yeah, something.
2: And those letters could be rearranged and moved and used over and over and over, and you could yeah. form your own words and mm-hmm. all that. Um is kinda like the very like layman, very base way of how that process works. Mm-hmm. But, so, like, if you've ever seen a typewriter, like, all of those little keys or whatever have the, basically, a little matrix on it. And then mm-hmm. they get lunged forward onto the ribbon, which is soaked with the ink. And then it, like, stamps it onto the,
0: the, the, the paper. Whatever the paper right? is. Yeah. Whatever um, the thing is.
2: And this was not quite the same, but it's, it, the process the was The concept very, is very similar. Yeah. yeah. But the. It was similar to an agricultural screw press is what they mm-hmm. called it, which there's like a screw that, you know, you would twist and it would like press down. Mm-hmm. So like the the stuff would be pressed onto the paper. And yep. then essentially these, um, yeah, like the molds, I guess. They're adjustable molds is mm-hmm. basically what they are. Mm-hmm. And you'd have all your letters, you'd shift the type around, so on and so forth. They also used like an oil-based Ink, which was a little different from some of the other stuff they were using. Um mm-hmm. it was more suitable for adhering to metal, whereas the last ones would use wood. Would use wood, yeah. yep. So and then actually the the ink was carbon based. Um it had like copper and lead and all sorts of other shit in it. I think a titanium. Mm-hmm. Um and it was actually described as almost being more of a varnish than an ink. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, I mean when you're thinking of just when you, I, you know, it's always interesting to me. I always like to kind of peel back away from just, you know, his accomplishments are amazing. But you think about like the timeline of humanity doing stuff. When you when you can only transfer documents in the most basic of ways, so saying, you know, going back to um, somebody writing something over and over again and copying mm-hmm. it, that really puts a gigantic sort of bottleneck on how much can, Literally be out there because mm-hmm. it's literally as much, you know, you, you have to have a certain supply that can be copied on. You only have so many people who can do it and it kind of feeds back into itself. So a lot of people back in these days were illiterate. I mean, and, and before that illiterate, not because they were dumb, because there was no good reason to learn how to read. Right. Because you never had stuff to read. And if you mm-hmm. were literate, it was probably because you were a rich or powerful type of person or exactly. you were some sort of influential type of person. So this is why, you know, back in the 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 olden days, really olden days, um, the the very old, original, you know, um, Orthodox and Catholic churches and stuff, the only people who could really read were those, you know, people in charge. You know, so like monks and others would write stuff down and transfer documents and then then the priests and everything could like read that stuff. So, really, if you're a person just sitting there getting the word read to you, I mean, you just kind of had to take their word for it that they were reading exactly what was said there. And they probably were for the most part. But there's still, when you look back at it now with your twenty twenty hindsight, there's you have to have some doubt, you know, because, it, I mean, they, get, they don't know. I mean, you could say whatever you say, and mm-hmm. then somebody's like, I don't think that's what it says. And you go, like, prove it, you dumb idiot. You can't read. So, right. like, what are you going to say? Like, I I read exactly what you're going to say. So it takes the power of literature out of a lot of people's hands when it's so focused in this like really slow moving way that really only a few people can use it. And then obviously like you're talking about reliefs and stuff, more and more people are able to use it, but still it's pretty, pretty well in a pretty narrow band of people who can really use it effectively for any good reason, you know? And so Mm -hmm. people, and like I said, it feeds back into itself. If you don't have to, if you don't have to learn how to read or, Do that stuff, your 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 descendants will never learn how to read because you're not going to be able to teach them, and there's no reason to teach them. And then there's a a, an artificially small amount of people who can read, who can continue the process of like copying and doing whatever. So you Mm -hmm. always have this like artificially small amount of people who can read, and it never really grows because it doesn't have to grow, or else there's there's no good way for it to grow. And now all of a sudden you have this dude who like we were talking about the reliefs if you have to like fill an entire shed with a bunch of wood blocks that make the bible this guy now can literally just like take a page take all these little letters and just start lining them up in like the the lines these little line types and i i wish this is sometimes i wish we were a visual podcast cuz you could you know there's there's youtube videos of like old gutenberg type presses that mm. people use and it's really interesting you look at it now and you're like, man, that seems really inefficient. And, you know, it kind of is compared to what we can do now, of right. course, because technology is what it is. But Jesus, for the time, it was like this guy's a fucking he's the flash of of printing. He can right. he can rock out a whole page super quick, knock out, you know, 100 copies of that page and then go on to the next one. And it's like it may take him a month to make a book, but he can make 100 fucking books in a month. And it's like, holy shit, dude, like because all and he does little woodblock letters like you're talking about and you store them somewhere, and he just makes each page as he wants to make it so it doesn't take up a ton of room, you know, so the press can be more impressive. Like, a, you can mm-hmm. really pump some shit out, and all of a sudden, this guy is able to make a thing that says, hey, I can make, you know, this guy has a relief that he can make uh, a Bible every month or so. I can make 100 Bibles now, like, today. Right. I can do this, and it's like, oh, shit, dude. Right.
2: Uh, yeah, he, like, he, it's hard to, like, get across how like how important it was of what he did like um like the combination of all the things he learned to do with his mold and his movable type and whatever um like it ushered in um mass production not quite as much as it would later in like i think the scientific revolution and like enlightenment era but you have to start you have to start somewhere yeah you got to start somewhere but like he the he had such a huge role in like the Renaissance, which turned into the Reformation, which went into the yep, enlightenment different and then revolution, scientific, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like he obviously wasn't just like him doing it all, but like his invention helped move all that along. And like, uh, like you were talking about earlier um, with like only certain people having access, like this gave like unrestricted access to like the circulation of knowledge to people like you and me. Like yeah. any, anyone can get Anybody it. Anybody off just... the street
0: could just acquire right. some type of literature and, you know, it gives more people incentive to learn how to read the language that they speak. And mm-hmm. after they learn how to read the language they speak, oh my God, all of a sudden it opens up all these avenues. Even if it's not even near the amount of stuff we have today printed, it still is a great deal more than these people were ever gonna, you know, consume in their lifetimes. And all of a sudden it just like the floodgates right. could, have opened. Could you know? You, could you imagine how like, I'm I'm
2: surprised he wasn't, like, killed or something, to be yeah. honest. Because, like, could you imagine all the politicians and, like, the clergy or, like, the religious elite and all Being those like, people? Oh, that are, like, shit. Shit, all these people can now have this knowledge that we can't control anymore. Or, like, oh, no, you have ideas. And, like, because mm-hmm. ideas are power, you know? Yeah, and, like,
0: yeah. And ideas and knowledge are, are power. And you can see that, especially now. This is when shit really starts to hit the fan because... After this time, and it's only 1,400, but, I mean, not too many years after that, we start really going around exploring the world Mm -hmm. and bringing this shit everywhere, and things start to go quick, and if you have the knowledge of how things work, you are at an advantage compared Mm -hmm. to people who don't know how stuff works, and more people now have access to that stuff. And, like, the
2: perfect example, and probably one of the best examples, is um, Luther and his 95 Thesis. Like, they they say yeah without Gutenberg's press there's no way he would have been able to distribute all the all like, the the 95 pamphlets. his, his exactly. theses, yeah exactly he
0: literally yeah he's able to print all these stuff and nail them on doors and give them to people mm-hmm. and you have a freaking you have a full-blown you know religious reformation you yeah. know from what the status quo is for a thousand years like, before and he just says fuck it I don't like this and it makes my own fucking thing with blackjack and hookers well, and, yeah. it, and it's
2: still around today like yeah. the Lutheran church like, it, like it's, it's still a big deal yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a huge deal like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and all that is because of a guy who just uh, uh, must have been a real smart fucking dude just kind of thinking, hey, what if I just make things modular? You know, right. what if, instead of just making a big template of something, what if I just put little pieces together and I can move my little pieces around to make something look different? And all of a sudden I can just I can just pump out whatever I want to make. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. the Bible is a popular book. It was popular then It's popular now. So, obviously, the Gutenberg Bible is a super popular example of what he can do, mm-hmm. but he made tons of those. And, and it's like, Jesus, before you might have had a Bible in a church, a really ornate written Bible, right? and now you could pump out Bibles for every family to have or every person in church that would go to have. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, the words that those people were speaking now are available to, you know, everybody to right. see. And it's like, that's amazing. That's yep. insane. And so his... Uh I don't know how much you
2: want to get into his early life and stuff. Hey, man, stuff, but, uh, do whatever you want. <laughs> so what's kind of crazy about this, too, is, like, I guess to get some of the controversy, you kind of need to know a little bit about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was born in uh, Mainz? Mm-hmm. Mainz, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you'd say it. I'm not a German. Um,
0: I am, but I'm not.
2: Y- yeah, right. Yep, same same, same. same, same. Um, He's the youngest son uh in his family there was more let's see they had to leave his town that he grew up in because um some shit was going on with the patricians in the area mm-hmm. um uh there's like an uprising against the patricians and his dad was a patrician um which is you know like a fairly well-off kind of person mm-hmm. um his dad worked with the ecclesiastical mint so he already like he grew up knowing the trade because his dad was in the trade yeah um which is you know kind of how
0: it went Mm -hmm. but um they even working and making like fucking uh well he's like a goldsmith and a blacksmith so like pressing metal and having worked Mm -hmm. with metal for a long time that kind of helps the basis of what he'll eventually you know make himself and he
2: apparently i think he was like involved with the uh seat at the um, assizes in the forgery cases in the like courts, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of interesting, which probably is where a lot of his dad's like status came from. If mm-hmm. I was willing to bet. Yeah. Um, But let's see here. So there's an uprising in around 1411. So he may have been six. He may have been 15. Who who knows? (laughs) He could have been a little baby Um, boy or basically a (laughs) full-blown man by this point. Who who knows? (laughs) He was of age-ish somewhere around then. um, And they were thought to have moved to, let's see, Eltville, Amrain, which is Alta Villa, um, where his mother had inherited an estate. Um, according to some historians, it basically like Jesus, you don't know much about his like middle early life. Like, it's like, okay, he was born and then now he's this age.
0: And, and, and that and doesn't like, surprise anybody because like, we're just saying for the last 20 minutes, you know, nobody was printing shit about people. Yep. So unless you had done something amazing or you were like some sort of nobility, there's no reason for anyone to have really written about you in any sort of way, you know, mm-hmm. probably what a lot of the, the 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 things that we're getting, like here's where he's from, here's what he's doing is probably from like written records of like existence in a place like this is your father and he has five kids and you know, Johannes is one of them and then they kind of happened to be here, you know, while this was happening and they happened to have this thing so then you could sort of like piece a story together based on his life, but he hadn't obviously invented his printing press yet so there was really mm-hmm. no reason for him to be famous like, no, in any way yeah. yep
2: so basically for like political reasons they think he was in Strasbourg, mm-hmm. um where he had some connections and then it is maybe assume he studied at the university um of erfurt um there's apparently a record of enrollment for a johannes de alta villa which we just mentioned he presumably moved to after the uprising mm-hmm. um and then for a while, you don't really know much. There's like you said, there's not much about him, but there's a letter that indicates around 1434 that he was in Strasbourg. And then, um, let's see here. There was some like marriage stuff, it's not terribly important. Um, but then, so it's around 1439 where like the mm-hmm. press starts to come into play. Yeah. Um, apparently he was involved with. Let's see. This says he was involved in a, quote, financial misadventure making polished metal mirrors which were believed to capture holy light from religious relics for sale to pilgrims in Aiken in 1439. That sounds
0: about like something that would happen in 1439 y- yeah. <laughs> is some fucking polished mirror capturing this uh fucking holy light and just yeah. that's a thing that people do.
2: And th- they basically, it was supposed to be an exhibit from like Charlemagne or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Some, Anyway, who was in Emperor Charlemagne mm-hmm. all that. from many
0: years before. Many, yes. many years. People wrote about him because he was an important <laughs> person yes. at yes. the time. Mr.
2: Charles. Yep, Mr. Um, Charles. Let's see here. And then that was delayed for like flooding and stuff. So like, yeah, I think that I would assume it just because of the weather and flooding, like eh, finances just got all goofed up. Yep. Um, he took some He apparently at this time. Came, was trying to like satisfy some investors and that kind of yeah, thing like he, he probably had, had his idea, had his idea. Mm-hmm. Mm, and he said to prom he quote um promised to have a secret um and they speculate that secret was his like movable type mm-hmm. type of yep. stuff um and then this is where the controversy kind of comes in where like a guy a dutch man named loren uh lorenz i would imagine i guess lorenz Coster. Supposedly came up with the idea of printing as well. Mm. Um,
0: and it's not surprising because a lot of times in history, and we've, you know, I've gone through this a bunch of times in my show too. Oftentimes, if you are the most famous person who have done something, it doesn't necessarily mean you're either the first or the only, you know, especially because human beings all have this kind of, you know, equal uh, ability of, of intelligence. Mm-hmm. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that some other dude somewhere else had also thought of something like this. And Right, come up with something like that. It's just that that guy didn't get you know the notoriety that somebody did, and it's the way history works sometimes. Yeah, you know?
2: <laughs> for better or worse, it just happened. Apparently, yeah. legend has it that for Coster, the idea came to him like a ray of light. Of course,
0: um, yeah, yeah, it's it's and it's funny too because you say it like that, like he was like some sort of like divine uh, inspiration or some muse, but you can very clearly see with Gutenberg, it was like a, it was a, it was a history of his his family's style of of work his father's work easily could inspire something like this so really it's like hey he's he's his dad was like a goldsmith and stuff and you know uh, Johannes is a blacksmith and a goldsmith mm-hmm. and he's worked with with metal and he's done all this stuff it's not outside the realm of possibility for a guy to have a spark of thing and say what if i just like put metal on these blocks of wood and because I can work with metal and stuff. And then like if I just dip in ink, what happens? And boom, I, he makes, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility to, to beyond saying, oh, I had a, like an inspiration when I was asleep one night. And all of a sudden I learned how to make a printing press, you know. So mm. I think personally, obviously, there's controversy because, you know, whoever claims to be first is always going to be somebody be like, oh, by the way, but not so much. But I did it. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I, maybe I'll believe the guy who sounds like he had a background in it before I believe the guy who said he had some sort of fucking God vision in his brain and said, oh, cool. I thought of the printing press I and just made too. it. Yeah. Right. I also did this. And first. But you can't prove anything first. Right. Back when they didn't, like, have patents being stolen and stuff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. It's mine. Yeah. Um, or ba- yeah. Back
0: when a patent didn't exist. So people right. were just like, I made this. And it was like, ah, interesting. Kill that guy. I made this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did this. Yep. <laughs> so there was, like, some, there's a gap
2: of time where basically it said he worked on his press he unveiled it yada 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 and then in like 1448 so nearly a decade later he was back in mines um took out a loan from his brother-in-law which people assume was for the materials to to, make it make it Mm -hmm. right um and when it's funny they here it says they quote call it related paraphernalia and i was like printing paraphernalia (laughs) 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 of course uh yes um,
0: but, uh, talking about weed now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Gutenberg. I feel like anytime fun. you ever hear the word, uh, paraphernalia, it's only ever in reference to fucking drugs Right? Now. Oh like, yeah. Nobody ever uses that word, which is a good word. Paraphernalia is a yeah, really, it, it's, it's a, a nice, word. fun little word. You never use it for like, you know, fun stuff like, oh, I, I went to a party and they had a ton of like balloons and streamers and paraphernalia for parties. <laughs> we, even when I say the word now, I'm like, yeah, it's a party that they had balloons and and streamers and also like weed and, and heroin and meth everywhere. So you know, printing. printing. Yeah. So he he gets a loan from his his uh, stepbro or not stepbro is a uh, bro-in-law. Yep. And uh, for printing paraphernalia. Yeah. So supposedly, probably.
2: And it says that he may have been familiar with entourage. Intosh- intaglio intaglio i don't know words um printing um and it is claimed that he had worked with hold on let me get through ex- your notes a little bit explain what that is mm-hmm. oh okay it's basically the that's right it's like the opposite of a direct like relief print yeah is what that is the intaglio i would imagine mm-hmm. sounds like it wouldn't have the j sound anyway um claimed that he'd been like he'd been working on copper engravings yep. and that kind of thing um, with an artist known as the master of playing cards which sounds like something out of like fucking final fantasy it's or sounds, something it sounds like, it's like an
0: anime character <laughs> 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 Steve Gutenberg uh, or Steve Gutenberg on. <laughs> <Yohan. laughs> Johannes goes on an adventure to meet the master of playing cards. It's like a quest. He opened up and he has to uh, go. Uh, he has to go hang out with the master of playing cards for a second to like unlock a skill. His, his and level first up season
2: quick. is his first season <laughs> is learning this skill. Yep. yep, crazy hair. I just imagine him with like a like. Basically, I'm thinking of Yu Gi Oh because of cards yeah. now, and then, like I think of uh, Pegasus and his like crazy ass hair. Anyway, he's the master of playing cards. He's the master um, of playing cards. Anyway should look more up on that guy. He sounds kind of interesting. He sounds like an
0: interesting dude. Maybe we'll it, talk about him later. Right. Who knows?
2: Master of playing cards. The master of playing cards. Um, but then uh it says his operate or his press was in operation by 1450. Mm-hmm. Um there was a German poem that had been printed, and it was possibly the first thing printed on his press, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and then get this. This is kind of interesting too. Yeah. Um, it says that he was Gutenberg he was able to convince a very wealthy moneylender that people may know as Faust, um, Johann Faust, mm-hmm. for a loan of 800 guilders, which I don't really know how much that would be. It's work. like just
0: fake money. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds more and more like some weird old anime that it, we've just made up. You've got 800 gill. Yeah, you got 800 gill. It is Final Fantasy. Uh, it truly is.
2: So he he got 800 guilders, however much that's worth. Um. To work on more of this stuff, and then his, uh, <clears throat> oh yeah, uh, Faust's son-in-law also joined the Enterprise, so on and so forth. He, mm-hmm. His son-in-law worked as a scribe in Paris, and he apparently is credited with designing maybe some of the first like typefaces mm-hmm.
0: that was used. Like different fonts and mm-hmm. shit, and different sizes of type. Yep. How fun. How fun to be the people who invented all the different fonts or at least started that whole fucking nonsense.
2: And I don't, you know, we would need to get in touch with like an advertising friend of ours or like a Mm -hmm. marketing friend because I don't know a whole lot about typefaces. But
0: she talked about, to my wife. I think she uh, did advertising and marketing in college. Uh. It would have been perfect for her to be here, but she's off uh, doing actual work today and we're just fucking around. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yep, yeah, you should totally ask Emily about that, because yeah. I'm sure she has a lot more to say about
0: Typeface than I can. Than either of us really know anything about, so. Yep, um, but
2: yeah, I guess his workshop was in Hombrecht. a distant relative owned that area. Um, it's not clear when he conceived the whole Bible project, but he apparently borrowed another 800 guilders from Faust in like 1452, and then some court case stuff happened because apparently um Faust was like he wanted his money back. He's like well, what the hell, man? Like uh he like he accused him of misusing his funds. Yeah. And I don't know what they mean by
0: that. Like He probably they, just yeah didn't think that, oh, I thought I bought this, but all of a sudden you have this thing. Like what the fuck? Right man? like
2: th- This isn't what I thought you were gonna exactly do. Exactly what you're this. gonna do. Yeah. Um,
0: but, even though what he did with it was fucking super impressive, yeah, you know, insanely oh, absolutely cool, but
2: and it's crazy because basically Gutenberg is one of those kind of sad stories where he kind of got a shitty lot mm-hmm. at the end. um so basically, the court decided in favor of Faust, yep, they gave him control over the Bible printing workshop, and half half of the Bibles that he had printed. So, I don't know how much you could sell that stuff. Like, what, 200 guilders? I don't fucking know. But uh, anyway, he had access to half of all the Bibles. Yeah. So, a bunch and,
0: of what Gutenberg basically couldn't afford to do anyway. He just took half of it and he was like, it's mine now. Yep. Like, he, have so fun.
2: He essentially went bankrupt. Yeah. Um, as then, as
0: as what happens with a lot of these fucking guys who come up with some shit like this they're just like poor. Right. They die alone bankrupt and shit because nobody understands like the the magnitude of these things till many years later right. often.
2: So he but apparently he had another small printing shop participated in more like bible printing that kind of stuff. Um, it says around Bamberg in 1459 um which let's see it seems that he had to at least supply the the type for it and then but it's hard to know because apparently none of his books have his has his name on it he just he
0: just print them but he never like said hey this is printed by the the Gutenberg boys yep exactly it was just like like, I just did it (laughs) the end so
2: like could you imagine like having some fine I don't know some ancient person finding like oh I found this old-ass bible in my grandparents castle's Mm -hmm. attic or some shit and like I don't know, like, what if it was the Gutenberg Bible? You wouldn't know. It doesn't have his yeah, name in it. Um, it's true.
0: I, I I feel like you probably could know, because I think they can find out these days. Probably right. from Like, carbon dating, you could probably even find out, like, what probably a year it was maybe done. But I think they all looked fairly similar enough. I'm sure he had, there were copycats after his Bible true. was made, because once you make something iconic, fucking people come around. Once they figure out their printing press, they probably go, oh, well, this Bible that Gutenberg had printed was so popular, we're just going to make ours look the same. You know, mm-hmm. some people want to have it, too, and then you get a whole bunch of uh, fakes or knockoffs or whatever you want to call it out there. So Hmm. it would be kind of tough to figure out whether you have the genuine article or not, for sure.
2: And it's uh, also maybe possible that the – is it the Catholicon? Catholicon? sounds kind of rad. The Catholicon <laughs> Dictionary. There was 3 sounds like another uh relic that r- our character needs to pick right, up pretty
0: quick the Catholicon, Necronomicon <laughs> but like the
2: Catholicon Dictionary. Apparently 300 copies were printed in Maine in 1460 and they were possibly done in his like small I'm assuming small shop that mm-hmm. he had. Um me- meanwhile, uh the Faust and uh Schilfer shop, which is his son in- Faust's son-in-law, um was the first in Europe to bring out a book with a printer's name on it. Mm. So they were the ones who were like, hey, we're gonna put our names on this shit. Um and it was a Psalter, like salt like Psalms like P-S-A-L-T-E-R. Mm-hmm. Um and but and then of course it made no mention of Gutenberg, even though it probably used his it might have even used his actual press. Yeah. Because he I think I think Faust got it. Something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um but then his later life Gets even more kind of just him, I guess. He um, sort
0: of fades off and yeah. puffs out. Well, he,
2: so it says in 1462, mm-hmm. uh, there was a diocesan feud, and there was like, it was sacked by the archbishop, mm-hmm. um, Adolf von Nassau, and Gutenberg was exiled as an old man. So he was moved, he moved back to, it looks like, Eltville. Where he may have supervised more printing and that probably you know that kind of I mean, it's stuff. It's all he knows
0: at this point. Yep. You know, that's probably just what he's um, gonna do till he takes his last breath. So
2: Yeah. So, but I mean, I guess a little bit of silver lining. His uh his achievements were recognized. Mm-hmm. Um uh where was it? He was given the Hoffman, um, is what it said, or the title of Hoffman rather. So like a gentleman of the court. Yeah. Um, so he was given a stipend and like uh, looks like he got two thousand one hundred and eighty liters of grain, and then oh, some wine—two thousand liters of wine, tax-free. That's um, a lot so, of wine. So yeah, Holy so shit. he's a, he's exiled with a lot of a lot of <laughs> grain and grain foods. and wine. So
0: yeah, yeah exile is probably not that terrible. I am wondering how many guilders that's worth. <laughs> Who knows, right?
2: <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. He died in fourteen sixty-eight, so he had three years to get through all that wine. I guess. Yeah. Um,
0: probably passed his wine off to whatever children he had made. So, Mm, yeah, I I feel like the biggest thing with with Gutenberg here wasn't necessarily – and obviously, at this point, people were smart enough to say, holy shit, we can print stuff. Obviously, Gutenberg's Mm -hmm. like a genius in some way. Uh, We're not going to give him the genius label, maybe just yet, because this guy's like suing him or it's a whole – it's foggy, you know. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, so he still recognized during the time that he's alive that, hey, you made something pretty fucking cool, dude, because Mm. but nobody nobody during this time could have ever like we were talking about earlier, like understood the magnitude of what this means. You know, because once you start a piece of technology like and it's good, all people are going to do is continue to work on it, continue to work on it, improve, improve, improve. Mm. And it gets to the point where you can print shit just mega fast, you know, from the point where you're just printing books to then you're printing. Daily pamphlets and newspapers, where you're just cranking shit out, new stuff, all the time, and it's like none of that would be possible without somebody coming up with a way to do it quick yeah. in so, the first place.
2: So let let's put some perspective on this real quick. Yeah, uh, it says um, so the European output, yeah, of printed books, circa 1450 to uh, 1800. About, so from the like, time
0: he started the his press to 1800. Yep. Uh,
2: so in the 15th century, yeah, it was. God, like there's not even a number on the
0: scale. Yeah, because um, the first half of that century was nothing the, until he came up with this thing.
2: So, like the 16th century, it was right around uh, 200 million, I believe. That's a lot numbers. already. <laughs> but then by the 18th century, it goes up to just under a billion. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just spikes almost like by half, or it doubles. Yeah, like, like every just, century, it doubles. Yep. Um, and it's just it's ludicrous to think like how big of a how big of a like, deal thing that was this is. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's insane um and then i guess some of his legacy you could um talk about a little bit um uh some of the, a lot of the printing apparently shifted to venice for like which
0: helped a lot with like the Latin works yep. and things like that. Latin which is great. Greek works probably mm-hmm. I suppose as yep. well. Some uh, classical work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so that was a huge thing. And then there's the Gutenberg Museum, um, which is in like Mainz. Um mm-hmm. And then one of the coolest things I think is called Project Gutenberg, um, which is the oldest digital library commemorating him um and basically what project gutenberg is is like I, i'm surprised how early and, and by early i mean it's still relatively new in the grand scheme but um when the started project in, started it started in 1971 man yeah like they were Before they were digitized, the yeah they yeah. were digitizing stuff in 1971 yep started by a guy named michael s hart um and basically, he started it to digitize and you know, like archive classic works mm-hmm. and so on. Um, has like fifty seven thousand titles in it. So like he's, all for
0: free. Yep, you can just go and read whatever you want. Fifty seven thousand yep. books. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's insane. Um, yeah, that's probably one of the most yeah. like nods to him. Yeah, I would, a straight you know, up nod to say, yeah, this is definitely like this is Gutenberg. This is who we're referring to. Is this guy, right? For sure. And I mean,
2: beyond that, like I guess there's. I've got some other stuff in my notes, but yeah, it's
0: whatever. But
2: then we were talking like before we started recording, but mm-hmm. like how this was just the West, of course. Like they were already doing some printing stuff over in Asia, yep, mm-hmm. uh, and the East, um, like a couple hundred years before he was doing yep. his thing, yep. But you know, whatever. Um, he, I would imagine, like you were talking about, it probably was more suitable to like the way their language is written and things Mm -hmm. like that um but i mean it doesn't necessarily surprise me that yeah like you said i mean humans have been doing this you know the same idea doesn't just roll around into like
0: one person in one person usually there's multiple people have multiple of the same idea you know then it it always becomes this fuzzy thing where people go oh did somebody uh steal somebody's idea or copy somebody's idea without permission or whatever, and. Especially in these times when people are so fucking far apart, you, you tend to kind of side with the fact that yeah, people probably just had a a, a, a parallel of uh, thinking yeah, I, event where it's like, yeah, this guy thought of the same thing that you did. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. You know, but either like, they got there first or you did, or something, whatever it is. You know, you, you both got to the same spot eventually, right. you know, separate of one another. And,
2: and in the East, obviously they were Yeah, they, it's so they, fucking they, far away. And they were was no so way. fucking huge yeah. too. Like yeah. they like I'm sure I'd have to look into it, but I'm sure whoever like started it over there was a huge deal. Oh yeah, like made a huge deal all over Mm -hmm. that area. Whereas like Gutenberg in the West, you know, like Europe and then it spread Around. Around. Yeah. And then so yeah. Um what else? Um I feel like there was something I was gonna talk about with the the method, but maybe not.
0: That's okay. I feel like we've covered a pretty good chunk of Mm. kind of what it is. I feel like the biggest part about Gutenberg's story really isn't exactly about the man himself, although it is interesting to kind of see like where he came from, what he did, and like kind of what happened to him. It's really just another just look at this insane thing that this guy did and look at our society now. Mm -hmm. And you can't just say, well, of course, if we didn't have Gutenberg, we wouldn't have this because somebody probably would have come up with something. But because of what Gutenberg, Gutenberg made and what people did we were able to print and make more printed books and works and more people learned how to read and those people passed on to their kids how to read and more and more and more and more people became literate and more and more and more works came out there more novelists started to exist so a lot of the classic work that you see from the you know the 17th and 18th and 19th century wouldn't have existed without a way to publish that work And a lot of people wouldn't continually like Mike be inspired to write Mm -hmm. and read if you didn't have anything to write and read about, you know, so it it directly affects you um, because it, it, you know, without this guy, you don't have whatever part of you wouldn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm holding my phone in my hand right now. I have you know, access to most of the world's works like in a very small handheld device and. It's crazy to think that this started back with a dude who was just putting little blocks in a in a line and printing it uh, with ink and stuff. And all of a sudden, the world becomes a lot bigger and a lot smaller at right. the same time. It becomes bigger because everything explodes with knowledge, but it becomes smaller because we can all be interconnected and we can all read what other people are thinking. I mean, reading is just basically telepathy between two people. I mean, you fucking put words on a page and then you read them and then it's all of a sudden in your brain now. Right. It's kind of a and, weird thing. So. Uh so a fun story,
2: really quick, that is just very much this time of uh the world history around yeah. this time. So with Faust, um you might know already, but he was he was uh like accused of being like involved in witchcraft and like selling yeah. his soul to the devil. Sounds about right. Because um some of his Bibles had red ink that people were like, that's fucking blood.
0: <laughs> Which? You yeah, you like, witch. <laughs> You anyway, killed you, you killed young virgin like, ladies to make that uh red type right? you it, fucking witch. <laughs> you wizard. So so you're a wizard fast.
2: It's just good to know like I think he was even thrown in jail on charges of black magic and oh, shit good. like that. So anyway, it's good that we have knowledge and <laughs> things don't you know, like, okay, this isn't a thing. You know? Yeah, like,
0: obviously still some people probably still do think it's a thing, but it's far less than probably who did at this point think yeah, that, that yeah, was but, a legitimate that happened that you (laughs) printed with blood (laughs) you you witch you fucking (laughs) black magic demon faust he's like no man i just put okay well i guess i'm in prison now oh shit Uh, yeah whoops (laughs) Guess this happened i guess this happened
2: yeah i think that's hilarious that story
0: it's it's kind of a fun little aside to just be like hey this guy is making a scientific uh, achievement in the midst of just insanity that fucking people are still in the middle of like the world's a weird place, and sometimes I always think about how we've gotten to where we've gotten and mm-hmm. how much cool shit we have now and how we could easily just not have all that cool shit because some fucking crazy person who it, 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 imagination gets the best of them and mind runs wild and they believe in some sort of insanity. And it's like, well, and they go fucking, you know, kill somebody who's right. like a smart person. And that's probably happened well, plenty of times oh, in, in, in history. Um, both people we probably know about and people we don't know about. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows who's been just like some some dude with like an idea got murdered and it's like, he would have been the next, you know, big thing, but right. You well, never know now. Cause it's, it's the end of it. You know? Right. It's, well,
2: uh, and it's funny you say that cause last week, so I was listening to, uh, you and Aaron talk. And yeah. I mean, same kind of shit happened mm-hmm. when, uh, Tesla lost all his research, his life's worth of research, like yep. the amount of knowledge we don't have because yeah, of and that. We'll never, never have. And, yep. and, and, Throughout history, I mean what, Alexander the Great destroying the Alexandria yeah, library, right? It's just uh and,
0: it's yeah, just things you know, the Mongol horde coming into Baghdad and, yeah. and, and sacking and burning the fucking the library there and basically pushing back fucking Islamic culture like a thousand years because he decided he wanted to kill and maim and murder everybody cuz he's uh, him and his court are bloodthirsty insane people. Mm-hmm. You have all these like scientific like heavy like forward thinking people and then you just blast their ass basically like a fucking horse nuke back <laughs> to the stone age and it's like, well, I mean, probably a lot of the reason why honestly, and this is a total aside, the way the Middle East is now is probably because fucking uh the Mongol horde fucked mm-hmm. them up so bad that things never really recovered, you know. Right. Fucking right. potatoes in Ireland fucking destroyed that goddamn place. Like mm-hmm. there were like nine million people, I think, at one time in Ireland, and the 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 troubles and the blight and everything just like destroyed that country where they still don't have as many people in that country now. Like the population's never recovered. Mm-hmm. It's fucking 2018 and there's only like six million people in Ireland. Like mm-hmm. they you would think something like that would bounce back, but it sometimes shit really fucks something up. <laughs> And and it, it doesn't, you know, it, it it's the humanity and the, the way the world works is a weird and crazy thing. So uh, uh, the moral of the story is, if you're if you know somebody who's smart, you have a smart kid or whatever, like protect that idea with all you have, because yep. it may be the next big uh, thing. Maybe yeah. not, but right. maybe that's the whole point. Could be. <laughs> it yep, might be could be. So I think with that, I'll uh, I'll I'll end the episode here. We've been going for quite a bit of time, but it's mm. been super fun. It's flown right by indeed. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser. You can find the show on Twitter at the couch pod. I should post those a little bit more often than I do, but I don't. I'll try whatever. We'll see how it goes. Uh, search knowledge from the couch podcast on Facebook. You can find us there. I usually post when the episodes go live every single week and kind of go from there. Um, you can find me on Instagram if you want. I don't really post a ton of stuff there, but I am there. Uh search Kyle F. Steinhauser on that one. Email the show, knowledgecouch at gmail.com if you want to. Um, and you can find this podcast literally anywhere podcasts can be found. Um, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everything else in between. Just search Knowledge from the Couch Podcast. And if you see a picture, of three people sitting on a couch, uh, that's the correct one. That's the one you want to listen to. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Plug wise, where can people find you? Uh, um, if you want to pre- be found, pre- pretty much just Twitter. I mean, mm-hmm. you can find me
2: at Bearded Bets. Mm-hmm. B-E-T-T-S. Bearded T T S, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Facebook. I mean, I'm there. I just <laughs> don't. I don't really use it for much, and I don't really. Anyway, like, yeah, it's the way things are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you don't need my email. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and unless you're like a publisher or something, like (laughs) that somehow stumbled upon this and want to talk to me or an agent, then sure. Um, yeah. Put me up on Twitter. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll contact you there. Hit him up at beardedbets
0: um, on Twitter. He will get to you there um, in the show notes and stuff. I will also publish like links to uh, Mike's work and everything if you want to go read that kind of stuff. And yes, also go to my Patreon and, and put a little money towards this fucking show. That would be super cool. Uh, Patreon.com slash Kyle has a podcast because I do. I have one of those and you're listening to it right this very second. Guys, I think that's all we have for this week. Another nice lengthy fun episode uh, I've had. I'm really, I'm really happy that I finally decided to uh, take a dip into the, uh, the ocean of guests. It has been uh, very rewarding for me to have people come over and talk with me. Um, it's made the podcast better, I think. I've had a lot of positive uh, reviews from the first two uh, that people have enjoyed listening to those. Um, I, I, I feel like it helps get get people a different perspective and hear a different voice than just mine. And it's kind of a nice little break from just the repetitiveness of just doing like a single one-off kind of podcast. You know, so, um, so thanks for coming on. I yeah, really thanks. appreciate it. Um, John, uh, Mike's brother, if you're listening, you are invited at some point. Uh, just let me know when you want to come on and we'll do something similar. And anybody else, if you are, uh, I would say within listening or driving distance of me, if you live here in Lincoln, Nebraska, or if you're close by, and you want to come be on the show, I don't give a shit what you want to talk about. Honestly, if you don't even come with like a subject prepared, I don't fucking care. Like we can talk. Mike and I talk for like half an hour plus about nothing at all, and it just is what it is. I like doing that. It's it's a fun little excursion. So if you're interested in being on the show, let me know. Uh, we can. Make something happen. I know the holidays are kind of tough for people to get around and and do stuff now, but if you have a free day and I have a free day, we should get together and and chit-chat and have a little fun. So, until next week, so I I know last week I said that maybe this week's would be a solo one, but then we kind of got uh, together here. So, 51 um, Today's is going to be another, obviously, another guested episode. Eventually, you'll probably hear a few solo ones here and there because I don't have unlimited guests, so... Um, but yeah, we'll probably get back to seeing or hearing some of the regular stuff, but either way it works. Thanks for continually supporting the podcast and tuning in and guys live long as Spock would say the Star Trek character Spock and prosper.